a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share real life experiences and the tools they've developed to move forward and live their best life. I'm Jenny Taylor. I'm Michelle Scharf, and we are today going to speak with a friend of mine, Renee Milne. Renee and I have really crossed paths through politics, but our relationship has been being built because we travel together. We've been to Peru. We've dared to eat terrible things together. (laughs) There's a certain bond that comes when you go to another part of the planet together. Well, and then there's that time that she, she was my babysitter and kept me safe and Stop me from fraternizing, fraternizing, <laughs> what's that word, with the locals. Anyway. Oh, we, Renee, that had to have been a challenging job. <laughs> it was well, fun. Yeah, I think, you know, being a teacher, vice principal, principal, it's just a natural role. There she goes. She's your chaperone. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> and sometimes Michelle likes to pretend that she's a child again, right? Just embrace oh, it. Yeah, who doesn't, for sure. <laughs> so, Renee, tell us about you. Introduce yourself to our guests. So like Michelle said, my name is Renee, and we have crossed paths in the political world. My husband was elected official, and I was the spouse of an elected official. So that's an intense world. And then um, I've been in education, and we've traveled together and currently living in Logan. Okay, well, I feel like there's there's more I don't know. Tell me really quickly, what level of politics was your husband in, and what level of education have you been involved in? I was married to a city councilman and a mayor, and I used to teach high school, so I feel like I've got a little kinship oh, that yeah. I didn't know about coming into this conversation. 100% connected. So Sean uh, was on planning and zoning, city council, and county commissioner for a long, long time, and I was a secondary teacher and an administrator and a director, higher ed. Wow. Okay, we'll have to talk offline because all of this is my passion. So let's jump back into your conversation. But thank you for being married to someone that's helping with local government. And thank you for being an educator and and such an advocate for our kids. I love that. Yeah, she's both very very exhausting roles to play. (laughs) I I saw you piping up over there and I'm like, yeah, you guys should know each other, actually. It's funny that you don't. Yeah, maybe at some point we're at some conference together without realizing it. I think we've just always missed each other at dinners and things. Sure. Either I couldn't go or you couldn't go. Yeah. Well, we're here today not to talk politics or PTA in the classroom, though we would love to. Jump in a little bit more of your background and then uh, what we're here today to talk about and learn with you. So... I've just been talking to Michelle for a while and wanted to maybe share in grief because I had an incident happen with my brother and that happened in 2005 when I was a teacher. And then when I became a vice principal, I felt like 
my mission sometimes was to help students going through grief. And there's just been so much that I was the one that they could come to and listen to. And, uh, and I think trying to make it as positive as possible is really important for people for their healing. Just the way I grew up too, I've been through some things and having grit and resilience is super important and you can never be a victim. At least that's how I look at it. Yep. Yeah. That's what makes you resilient. Well, and I love that what you mentioned even before we began recording that you're looking to find the positive in something that's negative. And of course, yeah. losing losing a brother, losing a loved one is for sure negative. Definitely. It's it's a hard path to take and unexpected. And I, I had no idea all the feelings that come with it. Well, tell us your story. All right. Well, my brother was moving to Denver to go to graduate school and uh, passed away on the way in Wyoming. Um, he was going to Denver. And um, it was just a tragic accident with another vehicle on I-80, which was already awful. Yeah. And I just, you know, the things that stand out are getting the phone call, imagining how my mom got the news from the police officers, everybody convening at my mom's, and just going from there, being in go mode. Like, I called the university and told them, and called all the family and told them. We have family all over the Midwest, just trying to handle handle all of those things. So a little more detail about the accident. Um, there was a snowstorm and the U-Haul that another family member was driving went off of I-80. And then my brother was in another car and pulled over, ran out to the U-Haul to see if they could get unstuck or if something could happen. And then a semi came and went off at the same spot and took out oh my, my brother goodness. and the family member. Both your brother um, and the other family member? Yeah. Oh, so, really? yeah, it was it was pretty terrible. And there was one survivor. We don't communicate. I mean, it's just tragic for everybody. Just awful. And then trying to get him back from another state and, like, just the craziness, the police reports and, you know, just all these things you don't think happen. You have no idea what happens yeah, so until you go through it. Tell me where your mom lives. Obviously, you said the accident happened in Wyoming. Um, mm-hmm. Someone from Wyoming had to, So she's in Sandy, Utah. Did they call her? Did someone show up personally? I think Sandy police did the notification. Did the Mm-hmm. It's just heartbreaking. Nobody ever wants someone like that to knock on your door because they don't usually just stop yep. by to say hi. No, I remember, I think it was around two in the morning. And I remember, I mean, this was 2005. I think I had an old brick cell phone and uh, <laughs> it was plugged in across the bedroom and like it startled me out of sleep and I missed the call and there was a terrible voicemail. It didn't say anything specific, just a very frantic, call me, call me. Um, So I call back and it was pretty hard. So devastating. You know, the most dangerous thing any of us do every day. Yeah. And multiple times a day we get in our cars and and we drive. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, my dad would always, you know, because I've lived here and they live in California. Whenever I'd come out to see them. He's like, okay, you need to call me as soon as you leave. And then it was like this constant connection during our travel, both to and from every time. 
And it used to drive me crazy because I'm like, if something happens, there's nothing that can be done. Sure. But well, that's how we are now, for sure. Right. Is it exactly? Message, I'm leaving. I should be there. Okay, we made it. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like too much. It's almost a little OCD or something. Well, but I we don't, do it. Yeah. I don't know about you, Renee, but we've had some you know tragedies in our family where mm-hmm. there was a time my my brother and sister in law lost a two month old baby to SIDS. And that phone ringing in the middle of the night or that late night call, another brother-in-law of mine was missing and suicidal in the late night call. And so Mm. anytime if my phone, if it either goes off later, you know, past a reasonable hour, or if someone from the family calls and maybe does or does not leave a message or all they say is call me, I will tell you it triggers panic. Even if they're calling to say, hey, I'm getting ice cream or something, but just that (laughs) I've almost been conditioned that that call, hey, call me could mean something awful has happened. So I can't imagine in your experience with driving being something we do every single day and your family spread out. My heart goes out to this is a horrible. And it sounds tragedy. like he was, you know, heading to grad school. That's an exciting thing. I'm sure everybody was full of excitement and yep. proud of him and excited and for the adventure. Yeah. Yep. All of his stuff, you know, he tried to take as much as he could. He was going to start a new life there and Walk us through that immediate response, reaction, the grief, the funeral. We kind of always look for where where does that resilience start to kick in when you have to face what you absolutely do not want to or ever think you would have to face? I think my mom is single, divorced, and so I kind of took on that role of a spouse for her, right? Just not being, you know, the parent of the child, but being support for her. Like I stayed at her house. I slept with her. I made sure she was okay. I made all the phone calls. And then I think you kind of hit a wall yourself. You know, the grief, because you're like, you're doing business. You got to get stuff done. You got (laughs) to, you got to do the obituary. And like, there's kind of this protocol, but you do need, I think you definitely need like your best friend or somebody to help you through that process to drive you. Like none of us wanted to drive period. Oh my gosh. And then, um, just going through the mechanics of it and then the emotions start hitting. And then, you know, it's not just your family. It's like your family and friends are trying to check on you. And, you know, I had to call and make sure I had a sub for a week. And my husband was, contacting everybody that he knew that had done business. My brother had worked for, for my husband for a while and he was contacting people that he knew would want to know. And uh, it's just, it's just crazy. And then there's all the legalities and all the, the other things, you know, he's an unmarried young man, doesn't have any assets, but now there might be a claim and then things start happening like, I don't want to go into details there. It's it's all settled, but I don't want to bring it up for anybody. It was a hard time for everybody. So. Right. You don't think about, I, I appreciate what you mentioned. There's the mechanics and the emotion, because there are certain things like planning the funeral, filling out the police report. There's all those to-dos. And yet somehow you're expected to process all of those to-dos <laughs> while weighed down with the grief that is just physically debilitating. Yeah. And, you know, there's all of those has to do right but you say plan a funeral there's so many decisions to be made with and they have to be made right now yeah it's not like you have months and months of an engagement to plan the wedding and dream of it your whole life and let me think about this right now right like what what kind of a box is it going to be a pine box a wooden box a steel box a 
painted box. Uh, and how much do those boxes cost? <laughs> right. Who's going to, yeah. Yeah. Which the reality cemetery, of the money, which too. flowers. Yeah. yeah. No, death is it, a very expensive just, thing. It's expensive and it is as big as planning a wedding. Yeah. I mean, yeah. all of it. With, without that jubilation mm-hmm. and anticipation. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then it's, you know, rehashing the story over and over. And everyone asks what happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And are you okay? And so now when I. I hate that word. question. I know. Instead of that, I'll just be like, hey, I don't even know what to say. I just, I'm thinking of you. Yeah. I don't know what to say, even though I've been through it on some level. I haven't I lost think, a spouse. I but haven't I think lost having, my mom yet, you know. So. Having been through it on some level makes you more compassionate to the fact that you don't know what the other person's going through. I think sometimes when we haven't been through things, we imagine what we think it would be like versus when we've been through something, we recognize I have no way of really feeling what you exactly feel, but I know it's awful and heavy. Mm-hmm. And sometimes all we can say is I'm so sorry. Or like yeah. you said, I'm thinking of you. I won't even try to fix it. I'm not going to try to explain it away. I will Just say know I'm devastated with you. As much as I hate saying, are you okay? I find myself at fault constantly. We are so programmed to ask. It just spills right? out of my mouth. And then I say, please yep. don't answer that. I yeah. immediately say, <laughs> I did not mean that. Please don't answer that. I already know. It's yeah. okay that you're not okay. It's okay. Yep. And, yeah. So, but but there's that process, right? And you learn those through these experiences. I I kind of front loaded like coming back to work too. I talked to my good colleague and I said, I really don't want to talk about it. I just want to come back and get to work. And he's like, Oh, are you sure? I'm like, Yeah, I think so. So he kind of like warned some people that I didn't want to chat, but then I did. And then I was an art teacher at the time, too. So then I was, like, making paintings to express how I was feeling about my brother and what happened. And and they, and they weren't great or anything. Like, they were just for me. They were just to express my feelings. Right. That emotional outlet is so important in that healing so and grieving process. Yeah. So there's awesome ones. There's anger ones. There's a bunch of his hats. Like, oh, he always wore a baseball hat. And so I did a painting of a bunch of his hats. And then I made a CD for his friends. Like, remember, this is 2005. So I'm making CDs. I'm mm-hmm. not doing playlists, you know. That's, sure. It was, it was a while ago. And then, um, you know, that year of first is so hard. Like yeah. your first birthday without them, first Christmas, whatever was important to them and you. He was a huge baseball fan. So I like, we organized a thing with all his friends and we went to batting cages. And like, you just had to find something positive even though it hurts so bad to get together I you can tell that he's gone I love the list that you're providing us of I was unique, just taking good notes unique opportunities to honor him and yeah I'm sure it was hard to do and at the same time it's like you had to do something yeah that energy yeah we need to take a break when we come back we're going to talk more we'll be right back Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent. It was senseless. And I will never understand it. I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson. And unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, 
the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Renee, so many great ideas. So tell us, you're planning these events. It is hard to to make the effort to get together, but how do those events go and do they bring you some solace in the process? Yeah, I think everybody's different. I think like what I needed wasn't what my husband needed or my mom and I are pretty similar. So I think things I would come up with, she'd be like, yeah, I, I like that idea. Let's do that. And then I have another brother and I don't think he needed things the way I did. Like his coping was different too. I mean, everybody participated, but I felt like I kind of needed to keep going and have answers or, you know, was he okay? Did he know? Did he feel anything? We actually went and talked to a medium, my mom and I, years, years later, and we're comforted by some things that he told us. And whether they're right or wrong, I choose to believe in them. And so I'm content and happy and He's in the best place out of all of us. So. <laughs> Renee, I love what you mentioned about each person grieving differently and giving each other space for that. And it sounds, you know, we talk a lot about these principles or pillars of resilience. Your self-awareness is very impressive that you knew what you needed and that you acted on that. Because sometimes I think in the thick of grief or the difficulty, we become hypersensitive to the people around us and we feel like we've got to help them or you've got to help your mom or you've got to do what your brother needs or what your husband needs. But for you to be able to say, this is what I needed and and that was okay. And everyone can participate and grieve together and do it in your own way. I think that self-awareness was a, a beautiful thing for the rest of us to learn from that it's okay if your grief looks different from someone else's. It's okay if you have different questions or pursue a different path and you don't have to force each other into the same box. Yeah, I think I learned that through this process because I was definitely a crier. I am a crier. I can cry when I'm frustrated. I can cry when I'm mad. I can cry when I'm happy. So I I think it's cleansing for me. Um, I don't love it when it happens in front of other people, but, you know, sometimes it just does. (laughs) Or on a podcast like today. (laughs) But um, I think I learned, yeah, everybody does things differently. Like my other brother, maybe a hike in the mountains is what he needs. And... My husband can just, like, talk to him, and he's fine. Like, he does his own thing, too. And my mom, you know, donates money to a charitable event every year in his name for Christmas. Like, that makes her feel good. So it's, like, all about us, those that are still here, and how we, how it makes us feel good. And I think my mindfulness, it's it's been a journey for sure. I do a lot of yoga and things like that, trying to tap into it find the root cause of my feelings instead of lashing out or other things that can happen. Just being aware of how I'm feeling and what's going on. And am I really upset about this or am I just blaming that because I'm feeling something else? This is all like, like this is straight out of a textbook. Some of the things you're telling us like how to, how to build resilience, what resilience looks like. I'm impressed to hear you talk about these 
coping mechanisms. Yeah. Michelle knows, and I've talked about it before, that question. My husband once asked me what my coping mechanisms were. You just listed several. Maybe going for a hike, maybe doing this, maybe that might be different for each person. But being able to be aware and tap into that for yourself can help you face and cope with what you've got to handle. I love that you brought up that your mom and you went and visited a medium. I have shared on this podcast several times that I have done that. And in fact, I just visited one last week. Okay. And I have found somebody that I connect with and who I believe my husband has a great ability to come through for her. Mm-hmm. And I was just in a place of like, I am stuck and I just need to connect and figure out what's going on here. And she had some great insights for me. And I think it it can be very valuable. I think so, too. And I think any signs, like whatever you want to see, you're going to see. Yep. I feel like some some things that happened right after he passed away was a white dove landed in our backyard. Like, I don't know how common that is. I would understand like a gray dove or pigeons, but like a white dove. And we were able to get it <laughs> like we caught it. Right, and you, it was you, our pet you happened to for a long time. Oh, you actually <laughs> caught it. it, not just like I, caught I, onto I, the moment. No, she physically caught the bird. Oh my gosh! So we're like, oh, I think I, you like, just totally shocked Michelle. Because I, I, I was thinking, oh yeah, that, that's true, right? It's a like, message. what's yeah. the chances that you would actually catch that moment? Yeah, but you, but you, you caught mean, that you bird. Caught the moment and the bird. <laughs> but we had other birds at the time too, so it was very natural for us to have birds. <laughs> Aviation but, family. It just. It probably was somebody's and it got lost, but I chose to take that as a sign, like a message from my brother. Mm-hmm. Like, it's good. It's peaceful. See, that's I'm good. Back to these beautiful pillars of resilience and, and purpose, finding mm-hmm. purpose. I know Michelle and I have talked about this where you can find something and sure, you could call it a coincidence, a song on the radio, a bird in the backyard, a heart-shaped stone on the ground. I choose to see more meaning in that. You can think I'm crazy and it's just a coincidence, but it brings me peace and hope and healing when I have moments like that where for me, I know for sure it's my late husband sending me a message or it's God saying something or my father or someone. And and yeah, you can look at me and say I'm absolutely crazy. I know what it is to me and that personal meaning and personal purpose helps me develop that resilience. Oh, absolutely. Yep. And I, th- I think also acknowledging the purpose, the universe will serve you up more of that. So I started seeing dragonflies. I see them everywhere now. And it's interesting when they pop up and sometimes in the oddest of places where it's not natural that you'd encounter a dragonfly. And you know it's not a coincidence. And I know it's not. I absolutely know it's not. And I think sometimes it's just acknowledgement of saying this is this is who I see when I see this and the universe will bring those to you when you need to see them the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think our first act that we really focused on too was from the settlement we um, set up a scholarship in his name at the university he was going to attend oh wow Um, because we're like you know what these young people deserve a chance they should be oh they should be educated if they want and like this is what my brother would have wanted like none of us were selfish and like spent money on ourselves you know and this was to honor him and uh, that was also very healing for us. It's kind of selfish for us. Those poor kids <laughs> had to meet us a couple times. And, you know, you just kind of like put all your emotions on them. You try not to, but you're just like so excited for them and hope they do well. And there was that. We did like 
my mom would donate money for Christmas, like I already mentioned, but we would also sometimes host families and meet them and give them presents. And, you know, it's all for our own healing. The, the, the parted, like I said before, they're in the best place ever. We're the ones here trying to deal with all of it and be resilient and mindful, like the pillars you said. And there's just so many ways that you can handle it. And I would just hope people would try to find something positive instead of getting stuck in the depression and the anxiety of it. Can I ask Renee, I I love this positivity. I love these steps that you've shared. Um, Surely there's times when you're in the negative, when you're in the depression, when that emotion is overwhelming. What are some of the things now that it's been a number of years? I mean, I'm sure you feel like it was yesterday and a thousand years ago all at once. What are maybe some of the moments of, of grief and waves of grief like now? And how do you help yourself maybe swim through that or face that even after, I mean, it's been a decade and a half, almost two decades already. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Walk us through, you know, sometimes I think we focus on the grief that first year. Like you said, that first year has its own set of everything. Everything is hard that first year, but it's not like it just goes away because time goes by. Can you talk a little bit about what that looks like today after all these years? Yeah, I think depending on the year, it seems easier. Some years you anticipate the anniversary of the passing, the birthdays, the everything. And other years, I don't know, it's calmer for me. But I think I try to just get my feelings out, whether it's, I think exercise is really important for me. Um, I know I'll come home some days after a stressful day and be like, change and leave and tell the husband, I'm like, okay, I'm out. Like, I've got to go exercise. And he knows he doesn't want to be around me unless I do go exercise. (laughs) So like that I get physical it. I'm component. perfect. <laughs> so being able to do that or recognize it because it's easy to just come home and be like, Oh, I'll just take a nap instead, which sometimes you do just need to take a nap. Um, I think things like this, like the podcast, just talking through it, expressing it, sharing it, thought about writing a book. I'm not really a book writer, but man, it, it Michelle's writing a book. I I'm think- writing a book. I think there's there's such value in the story because, you know, we'll spend 30 or 40 minutes hearing your story or the the overview of it. But the depth of it, I think if you've ever considered recording it into a book, I think maybe encourage you to to look at that. There's so much the rest of us gain when we see experiences of others. True. And I think that's probably like a lot of what I am drawn to as well as similar stories or how to make it positive, how to how to not be a victim as well. Another side note, like we grew up kind of in some trauma and luckily my mom got us out of that situation. And then it's like, man, I've had this, this, this and happen and I'm still kicking. I beat the odds. I'm not a statistic. I'm not all these you're, things that I You're the victim, not the victim. Yeah. Yeah. And so why, why did that happen for me? Well, if you study ACEs, I had a strong adult in my life. My mom was always really, really strong. Great teachers. That's probably why I became an educator. Just people kind of, I'm sure they knew my situation or they could tell that I needed a little more. And so I think that's kind of like been my profession. And oh my gosh, I'm so emotional today. It's okay. Um, We we tend to draw it out in in people. It's okay. And I love your vulnerability. I know it's hard for you, but it's really beautiful just helping young people like we're not going to have anything good if we don't help them if we don't support them if we don't try to show them the path they'll make their own mistakes but 
I can't even imagine what it would be like to be a young person right now and not have any support. Such tough times we're in right now. So much disconnection when we all so badly just want to feel connected. Yeah. Yeah. We need to take another really quick break. We'll be right back. back Renee this has been beautiful and uh, heart touching thank you for your vulnerability and your tears your honest tears it is interesting like Jenny said it's been more than a decade and I think it's important for people to hear that when you talk about it you reconnect with that loss and it can be just as traumatic as the day that you got the news That is what grief and loss is like. We have moments where we're not in touch with that all the time. And thank goodness, because it would be a miserable existence. But in some ways, it's so nice to connect with it at moments because it's a reminder of the love that we had for that person. To me, that's how I feel Mm -hmm. about it. It's not somewhere I want to stand in all of the time. (laughs) But to let yourself acknowledge that. I remember one of the most beautiful moments for me was shortly after my husband was killed. I met another widow who was about 10 years out from her loss. And she was still loving and emotional. And instead of feeling weighed down by the fact that I would be emotional for a decade or more, it was beautiful to me that no matter how much time passed, and she's living a beautiful, meaningful life. And she still loves and she still lost and it still hurts and she could still process that emotion. So I love, you know, people say time heals all wounds as if time is just this magic clock that erases everything. I think what happens over time is we learn to be stronger. We learn to recognize our emotions. Hopefully we become more self-aware and more mindful, but I don't think it's time that just magically erases all the feeling and we wouldn't want it to. We would never want to erase that feeling and that emotion that comes with that love. Yeah, I think there's a lot of work that has to go into it as well. Like, feel the feelings. Yeah, absolutely. If it's a bad day, I mean, embrace it and try to learn from it and move on. Those will come. You know what sets me off is he's a huge Chicago Cubs fan. Mm. And if I see a little boy wearing a Cubs hat, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'll be bawling. I could be in Walmart, and you know, or wear it some store, and I'll be bawling. It's just, that's a trigger because it just trigger. reminds me of him instantly. Yeah. Some little quirky smile he's got. That could be it too. Now, you know, like in grief too, he's got some funny little stinker things that the medium would talk to me about. Like he'd love to tease me. It's not all roses just because they're gone. I mean, you remember mm-hmm. like, oh, you went to your chores growing up or he was so annoying, you know, things like that. But you remember the remember whole that. person. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, that's and it's important. easy to focus on the beautiful, positive things because that's the part you miss. You don't miss that they wouldn't help you do chores when you were a teenager. <laughs> but <laughs> there's a, there's a misperception out there that that those who grieve only remember the good things. And honestly, my husband's best friend and I we were on the phone the other day, and I was kind of harassing my husband about some things. About I was talking sure. to him With about your things. Got yeah. it. Got it. With my husband's <laughs> best friend. And he laughed and he goes, well, I'm, I'm glad you sure remember John as John. 
Right. And, oh, and, and not yeah. this sanctified. I, I said, oh, Mark, I remember the total of it. <laughs> I remember the total. I have not put him as saint. But I think people misperceive that because we only talk about sometimes the good things, right? Like that whole. Well, and Jenny, like yours was in the news too. Like, oh, I think that would be hard. <laughs> but I'm assuming yeah. things, I don't know. Well, no. And that's something I've been mindful of with my own kids, making sure my kids know their dad as a person and not just a war hero, though I'm grateful that, mm-hmm. that he's been celebrated. We have we have a new home we just moved into, and in the front living room, we have Brent's uniform, and it's framed, and we have some oh. of his medals. It's beautiful, and sometimes it's a little overwhelming, and so we, we, <laughs> we make sure we tell the stories, and everybody knows it. Brent Taylor loved peeps and circus peanuts. Like, you guys, that's crazy. There's the, the man who was the mayor of a city of 20,000 that wouldn't spend $10 on a haircut, but made me do it, <laughs> and I'm a terrible haircutter. I mean, telling those quirks. Sometimes it is with one of one of Brent's friends or brothers that you just tell the stories like, oh, yeah, he was actually a human. He had flaws. And I think that's refreshing. I don't think it's disrespectful at all. It's not. It's 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 healthy. I know in in terms of a relationship, Michelle, as you've moved forward in in dating relationships and things, I know if that ever comes to be a, a part of my future, I will have some things I have to work through in my own heart and mind about the imperfections of our personal relationship. And I think every relationship has imperfections, whether it's your little brother or a spouse or a a child or whatever, and being able to be okay with accepting that whole person. And I think that is Mm -hmm. part of, you know, one of those great pillars of uh, resilience. We talk about the positive relationships. Do we have positive relationships that don't have to be perfect? Mm -hmm. I'm not perfect. Brent wasn't perfect. Your little, your brother wasn't perfect. And yet can we celebrate the goodness and remember all of it and you know with a laugh and a smile and i think it's great renee tell us what resilience means to you i think it means not giving up being inspired by others who have been through similar things or hard times and you see how they pick themselves up or what foundation they put their energy towards to to deal with whatever they've been a part of and i think also you know being like a strong professional woman for myself working hard, being a good example to others, something as simple as, you know, picking up the trash as I'm walking down the college hall or just being an example to students who come and meet with me. And I just actually ran into a previous high school student that I taught at Twilla High. We live in the same area now and we ran into each other and she's actually an art teacher. And I just was like, oh, oh my gosh, that's got to make your heart so happy. <laughs> It was awesome. That's and beautiful. And a counselor, and I'm just like, oh, good. And I have a couple others. We just don't live in the same area. And sure. That's awesome. That's the stuff when I'm having a bad day I need to remember. Yeah. Yeah. The fruits of your labors. And I love, I love that you mentioned, and you almost mentioned it in passing, but the fact that you are an educator and an advocate for young people because you had good advocates in your life. You had good teachers. You had your strong mother helping you through difficult times. And I think how beautiful that for you— you mentioned resilience is helping others mm-hmm. and, and not just focusing on yourself, but the, the beauty you find, the healing you find in just trying to be there for someone else, whether it's a kid at college or the high school student or, or whatever. I think there's a lot to learn there that as a strong professional woman, you find joy and meaning in helping other people. That's beautiful, Renee. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> you said it very well. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I really enjoyed getting to know you. I wish we lived a lot closer, actually, because 
for people that know Renee and my experience of Renee is that she's somebody who's really grounded in who she is, mm-hmm. which you don't find a ton of people necessarily that way in the world, in my experience. And I appreciate that. And the way you carry yourself, like just your examples, I'm like, yep, that's Renee. Thank you. It's just who she does. And she's always there to support or help in just the way of being that she is. I mean, she doesn't necessarily have to do anything, but you always feel like if I need your arm around me, it will be there. That's beautiful. And I definitely did in Belize. (laughs) Keep her out of trouble, Renee. (laughs) She did a good job. We we had a good time. This last trip was definitely a lot more of this kind of conversation. Yeah. uh, Yeah. The first bu- through some stuff. Yeah, the first Belize trip was just keeping me out of trouble. The second one, it, <laughs> it was a lot a more deeper. It, it was, it it was a lot more depth. And of course, I went into the trip just at zero. Yeah, I went in yeah. having lost a relationship, lost an election, and I just needed to find. I needed a place to just let go and also just be raw and vulnerable. And I met some really beautiful people that I have created much deeper, meaningful connections and two people, Renee and Jake, another friend Mm -hmm. of mine. I felt like we got a lot closer on the trip, Mm -hmm. which I was really excited about because both of them, they're a lot more quiet than I am, a lot less needing to go outside themselves, but they were very available. And I think, with me being that. in a softer space, it really created a vulnerability for all of us to just really connect. And I think sometimes travel is some of the best form of therapy out there. I, I know sometimes oh, yeah. a, like a family vacation or something where you have that time that you're not doing the day-to-day that sometimes is a distraction. You're in a different environment. You're in a different mindset. Sometimes we let ourselves open up and connect on a different level. So I'm all I'm all in favor of Belize. Just stay out of trouble, please. <laughs> we don't want to have to try to bail you out. Well, that's well, why I think part. anybody that that's puts what... themselves out there in the public and, like, runs an election, I mean, as a spouse of somebody, it is super hard. But to actually be the one, the politician, the candidate, mm-hmm. man, it's tough because people... Some people are nice and some people are not nice. <laughs> some people are really, really ugly. And some some men are really, really intimidating. And it is hard. I've still been receiving some harassing phone calls. I'm getting to the point where I think I might reach out to the police yeah. and just file a report. Terrible. It is hard, right? Unless you actually do it like that. Is it Teddy Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt, the man in the arena? I yes. Mean, Mm-hmm. That, it's not the critic who counts. That's right. a fabulous quote. Yes. And there's like, I feel that when I read that in more ways after the second election, this is the second time I've run. Oh, wow. And, and I think it's also why I'm ready to just admire others for their willingness to throw their hat in the <laughs> well, arena. Renee Brown has a great quote, something like, if you're not in the arena getting your butt kicked too, I'm not interested. Yep. That's yeah. one of my favorite right. quotes. Yeah. That's a great one. <laughs> it you is, have no idea. It is mine as well. And it's so funny. In the dating world, somebody said, why don't you show up before you uh, chime in or something like that? And I'm, I was like, whoa, buddy, you have no idea who Watch you're speaking out. to. But, you know, for me, 
while I thought that, I also thought, and you don't deserve another and never comment. Mind. And sure. never mind. Yeah. Like, you don't deserve another moment. But again, that's the resilience of a positive relationship and knowing where to put that energy in and that focus. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Well, Renee, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for your story. You're inspiring, and you've really laid the entire foundation of what resiliency is all about. Yeah. Like you said, well, thank you, you, you both. You personify that. I hope we get to meet uh, in person at some point. I do remember I went to a tailgate event at Utah State not long ago with Sean, and we had some good food and ice cream together before the game. <laughs> Me and my kids were there. and But I don't think you were there, or if you were, you might have been with students. So hopefully next time we're up for some Aggie ice cream and Aggie football, we can enjoy oh, yeah, it together. And, but just thank you. Thank you for living a life where you, like you started this, Finding the positive in the negative and just refusing to be a victim. I think those two right there just really embody everything you've shared with us today. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you both so much. And if you've liked what you've heard, you can subscribe for free to our podcast and give us a rating and review if it's available on the platform you listen on. If you know someone who has a real story about real life and they're willing to share with us, Send us an email at rrpodcast at ksl.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Relentlessly Resilient or on Instagram at Relentlessly Resilient Podcast. And remember, whatever you do today, remember to be kind. You have no idea the struggles other people are dealing with in their lives. Have a good day, everyone. Thanks. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.